Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Today, we introduce a new music contributor to City Lights, Vaughn Phoenix. Vaughn is the president and co-founder of Atlanta's cultural and media phenomenon, Punk Black. He'll join us monthly to highlight local artists of color, performing in a variety of musical arenas, many of which break stereotypes and expectations. A variety of musical styles is in the lineup this hour. Americana takes the stage in the holiday hootenanny this Sunday. Musicians T-Dog Helland and Jeff Mosher will tell us about the annual concert to benefit Atlanta Habitat for Humanity. And we listen back to an interview with Jacko Jaksic of King Crimson, one of the most influential progressive rock bands of all time. We begin on a classical note. For their annual holiday concert on December 18th, the Atlanta Women's Chorus presents remembrance, and joy. Dr. Melissa Rossi is the artistic director of the chorus. She joins us now via Zoom to tell us more about the music on this year's program. Missy, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you so much, Lois. It's always a pleasure to be here. What is the story behind the title of this year's holiday concert? Well, you know, we had a a standard kind of holiday song theme going. And then with everything in the pandemic and what we went through really throughout 2020, it just didn't feel quite appropriate for us. And Eve Campbell, our executive director, and I were discussing how many people have passed during this year, either through COVID or social injustice and and just things that were weighing us down, as well as you know, when people were ill or in the hospital or passed, people were not able to really totally engage in the process of someone passing or caring for their loved ones. And we felt like this was a, a way 
that we could acknowledge the pain, but also look forward to the joy. So we're singing a pretty new, it's a, edited in uh, 2017, arrangement of the Faure Requiem, along with some holiday tunes that will be very poignant and, and reverent to the same mood, but also bringing joy. When one hears the word requiem, something funereal comes to mind. But the mood of Faure's requiem is very much one of serenity and consolation. Would you talk more about the character of this music? Yes, absolutely. So Faure's requiem was really a really different kind of requiem in the sense that Faure wrote it with hope. And he left out uh, the Dieres Ire section, which really is the most funereal, as you said, but also added the In Paradisum at the end, which really talks about more about paradise and, and is uplifting. And as you know, also, Many people are very familiar with the tunes of the Ferrari Requiem. It's really something that a lot of people know all the, the, the different tunes of the pieces within the Requiem. Mm. Which sections do you think are most familiar? I believe that the Sanctus is very familiar. And the opening Kyrie is very familiar, I think, to a lot of people. You mentioned the omission of Dies Irae, the day of judgment, day of wrath. Indeed, that can be a thunderous section, downright terrifying, say, in in the Verdi Requiem. But it is most remarkable that that was not the message Foray was seeking to impart. Is that what is at the heart of your choice for this requiem being the centerpiece of your holiday concert? It is definitely part of it. Another part of it is there are not very many requiems written for soprano alto voices alone. Typically, the requiems are written for soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. This requiem, as I was saying, was only edited in 2017. It's a Baron Rider edition by, I believe, Malcolm Bruno. And so it's written with the same voicing, soprano, alto, tenor, bass voices, but into soprano one, soprano two, alto one, alto two and we're performing it with the organ. So this was important because of the message, but also important because of the voicing. Sure. Let's talk about the rest of the program. I see you have a mix of holiday songs. 
We really do. We are singing two beautiful Dan Forrest pieces. These pieces are just stunning. One is his Silent Night arrangement, and we're performing that with String Quartet. stunningly beautiful if you've ever heard any of his work and he has a new piece called the work of christmas i'm particularly fond of the text within the work of christmas it says when the song of the angels is stilled and when the star in the sky is gone when the kings and princes are home when the shepherds are back with their flock the work of christmas begins to find the lost to heal the broken to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers, to make music. I just feel like those words really encompass where my heart leads during this holiday season and, and wanting positive good things for our future. Oh, yes. And then you have a Mexican folk song. Mm, a la Lanita Nana. Such a beautiful, stunningly gorgeous piece. I, I did this piece first when I taught high school chorus, and I fell in love with it then, and I've always just held on to it. It's a beautiful, stunningly beautiful lullaby, along with two lovely Hanukkah pieces that we're doing, one by Stephen Schwartz, so it's very Broadway-esque, called We Are the Lights, and an interesting arrangement of these holy lights are Hanerat Halelu. Another wonderful piece that we're singing on the concert is an arrangement of O Holy Night. And it's very special because it's arranged by Jeffrey McIntyre, who is the founder of our brother chorus, the Atlanta Gay Men's Chorus. This being their 40th anniversary, we wanted to pay homage to him and the work that he has done through the years. And so we're singing Jeffrey's arrangement of Night Divine. with silver bells. Oh, ending on a sweet, sentimental note. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and joyful.
you know, it, it's certainly um, a sound of the season to hear some sleigh bells jingling. Yeah, who can argue with that? <laughs> Missy, how does it feel to hold this holiday concert in person again? Well, it's fantastic. If only we could get these masks off our faces, it would be wonderful. We are rehearsing masks and we plan to sing unmasked. We're all vaccinated. We'll be PCR tested the week of, and then rapid tested the day of. We're trying to be very cautious for our audience and want to be able to present this with our best quality without the mask on. So it's been troubling in some ways, but so rewarding to actually be together, sing together, and be able to communicate with an audience again. We're so looking forward to it. Melissa Rossi, Artistic Director of the Atlanta Women's Chorus, their fourth annual holiday concert, Remembrance and Joy, is tomorrow afternoon at 2 and again at 8 p.m. at Morningside Presbyterian Church. More information will be on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. You are tuned to WABE Atlanta. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The 10th annual Holiday Hootenanny returns to Variety Playhouse with local artists and tributes honoring Atlanta musicians who passed away this year. The concert will benefit Atlanta's Habitat for Humanity. Thomas T-Dog Helland, producer of Holiday Hootenanny, and Atlanta bluegrass performer the Reverend Jeff Mosher join me now via Zoom to talk more about the show. Welcome to City Lights. Well, thank you. Really glad to be here. We're thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Well, what inspired the creation of the annual Holiday Hootenanny? Well, it kind of stems back from a holiday concert that used to happen at the Variety Playhouse in the late 90s and early 2000s that was organized by the late Ricky Keller and our friend Jeff Sipe, who was living here at the time. He's a drummer. And they had a show called the Zambieland Orchestra. That would bring together just a huge number of musicians, and they would just 
you know, in a nutshell, they would just make it happen. And it was just a musical miracle, to say the least. And the talent level is what really enabled that to happen and the spirit of it too. And that is kind of the music that I've been surrounding myself with and the vast majority of my productions over the last 23 years all stem from the spirit of Colonel Bruce Hampton. This pretty much just follows that with a bit more structure, but the spirit and the energy of the, the musicians and of the audience and everything just makes it something extra special. Jeff, you've performed at every Hootenanny in the last 10 years. How have you seen it grow and evolve? Well, I met Thomas after when we first met, he came, this big guy comes walking up to me and said the word Americana. And at that time, in the late 90s, there was no real word for Americana, which was a kind of a genre that blended a lot of genres of American roots music. He said he wanted to start doing festivals. And I had a band at that time called Blueground Undergrass that had just started. And Thomas uh, is really the impetus to put together festivals and shows that have a very specific quality of genre blending is what I call it. It stems from the jug band and Grateful Dead kind of thinking. There's improv, but then there's purity in it as well, where he has real pure bluegrass bands or pure blues or pure R&B. He just created a huge musical tent of community building musicians. And that's what he's really... I'm lucky to have been involved in all of his ventures. We're kind of partners in crime that way. We try things that have never been tried. And he said, it's all from the spirit of my mentor and the person that I played with in the 80s, Colonel Bruce Hampton. Yeah. Which songs will you perform at the Holiday Hoot Nanny? Well, I'm playing one of my tunes called Shining Man from the Blue Grounder Grass Days. You say you're looking for a better way You say you really want a brighter day But you're preaching old, old stories from a bygone day Don't you think it's what you say and do Don't you think it's how you think and choose No shining man can bring a better day You say you're looking for a better man You say you really want to take your stand but you're standing white all day, holding out your hand. Life is measured by your range of fear, and it's all. And then I'll be playing with Tommy Talton, who is a contemporary of Greg Allman, on uh, his tune called Don't Go Away Sore. And then I play with Jim Lauderdale as well, because I play the a banjo that's suitable for, you know, playing in loud context. And so I've, I'm used to playing banjo with drummers and inside of music that is typically sonically bigger than traditional bluegrass. So I'm excited. We improv theirs. We don't try to plan everything because you can plan the magic out by planning sometimes. And so there's a lot of impromptu 
where we get up there and we listen to one another, we, you know, attempt to become bigger than the sum total of our parts, which is <laughs> what's, what's beautiful about music is the, the collaboration and the cooperation. And as you know, <laughs> how powerful it is. It's a healing force in the universe. It's a medicine we made for ourselves. And it's, I think now more than in many years, it's needed for people because it's like a bomb. It's like a, a salve for the soul. And that's why we do it. It's bigger than entertainment, as you know. Yes. And it brings us together as well as it does. nourishing mm -hmm. the sure does. musicians' souls, nourishes the souls of all of us who love music. Each of you mentioned Bruce Hampton. Now, four years since his death, you're all celebrating his legacy, along with a few other legendary Atlanta musicians who passed away this year. How will you honor Ike Stubblefield, Tom Gray, and Count Mbutu? Well, I'm planning to have Ike Stubblefield's Hammond B3 up on the stage. And I, we all have two keyboardists this year, and they'll share duties on on the Hammond and we'll have a second keyboard so we can double up at any given moment, but we'll have his Hammond up there and we'll be playing music, his style. And we have a whole set kind of geared towards his music that will be led by uh, trumpet player, Joey Somerville and Grant Green Jr. A wonderful guitarist, jazz and funk player here in Atlanta. sets of music and so it is just going to be prevalent all night his spirit will be yeah, there yeah. all night long we'll um, also have the counting Butu's drums there yeah and one of his main students garv mahaltra will be there playing percussion the counting Butu played in the same band i played in with colonel bruce hampton in the late 80s the aquarium rescue unit oh, yeah. i was in that band at before it got signed, I'm like the Pete Best of ARU. <laughs> I was in it before that they got big, but it changed my life nonetheless. But the Count was the percussionist in that band, along with Derek Trucks and a lot of amazing people he played with. Tom Gray is the third musician that will be honoring, paying homage to however you would like to put him. You know, that was a tough one. He was most recent of those three. Waiting for a girl, got curlers in her hair. Waiting for a girl, got no money anywhere. We take buses everywhere. Waiting for my factory. And uh, we're going to have his playing partner from Delta Moon, Mark Johnson, will be present performing 
throughout the evening and uh, there promises to be quite a bit of slide guitar in Tom's honor throughout the evening. <laughs> now, the third set focuses on Capricorn Records. Can you tell us what will be performed in that part of the program? Oh, yeah, I can tell you some of it. I connect all the musicians for each set, and I stay out of the loop unless I have a special request. And so they're the ones that are putting together the set. So I don't know everything going on with it, but I do know that we'll have Randall Bramlett and Tommy Talton from the Capricorn era from the 70s leading the way. And we'll be featuring musicians like Donna Hopkins coming on stage to sing Whipping Post by the Almond Brothers. doing some Tommy Talton songs, some Randall Bramlett songs. You know, there's good promises to be some surprises too, mm -hmm. as far as song selections, but it will embody the sound that was Capricorn Records back in the 70s and feature the horns and, and the Hammond and the slide and the bluesy sound and the soulful sound. That this, good stuff. Yeah. The good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this concert is to benefit Habitat for Humanity. Why did you choose this nonprofit organization among so many worthy causes? Well, it kind of all goes back to Bruce. He called me one day while I was eating lunch at an Emory dining establishment, Emory Village dining establishment. And he said, I just met someone from Atlanta Habitat and we should do a benefit concert for them. And I reminded them that we already had a holiday concert going on in December. So let's just combine the two ideas. And that jump started the idea for Atlanta Habitat to be a part of it. It's been a great relationship and, you know, it's a very organic concert and I'm not able to give huge amounts of money, but I do my best, but every year we're able to give them something and it feels really good inside to uh, have them be a part and know that we can make a difference and get their name out there and have everybody participating for, for such a great cause. Thomas T-Dog Helland, producer of Holiday Hootenanny and Atlanta Bluegrass performer, Reverend Jeff Mosier. The 10th annual Holiday Hootenanny is this Sunday at the Variety Playhouse. More information can be found on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. You are tuned to WABE Atlanta. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Great to have you along. Today, I'm delighted to introduce a new music contributor to City Lights, Vaughn Phoenix. Vaughn is the president and co-founder of Atlanta's cultural and media phenomenon, Punk Black. 
He'll join us monthly to highlight local artists of color performing in a variety of musical arenas, many of which break stereotypes and expectations. Here's Vaughn Phoenix with the premiere segment of Punk Black To Go. Thanks, Lois. Greetings, my friends. I'm City Lights music contributor Vaughn Phoenix, and this is Punk Black To Go. For the unfamiliar, Punk Black is a media network that features people of color in the music, art, and cosplay communities. We've been at it for six years, and we don't plan on stopping anytime soon. Each month, I'll be joining the City Lights team to share music that I love from the Atlanta Punk Black scene. So without further ado, here are a few bands you need to listen to this month. First up, we have our hometown heroes and heroine, Concrete God. Their sound is huge and is a great combination of classic rock, hair metal, and modern rock. The perfect word to really describe their music would be timeless, and I bet you they could rock a club in the 70s, or rock a club now, or rock a club in whatever dystopian cyberpunk future ahead it. Here's a little sample of their song, Drive, Just the Way Your Appetite. That was a sample of Drive by Concrete God. They're on Instagram at Concrete God, and that's Concrete with a K. So that's C-O-N-K-R-E-T-E, God. Next up, we have Paleos. This Atlanta-based band is one of the prime contenders of most likely to start a mosh pit award. Their music is heavy, passionate, and soul-wrenching in a good way. They performed at the Afropunk Festival recently, and the trail of melt-up faces they left was truly a sight to behold. If you're a metalhead, you're going to love this sample of the song, Jekyll's Hyde. That was Atlanta band Paleos and their song, Jekyll's Hide. More information is available via their Instagram at Paleos Band, and that's at P-A-L-E-O-S Band. Last, but certainly not least for today, we have 16 Bullets, Atlanta's perfect mix of rock, hip-hop, and the sounds of revolution. If you're looking to party or tear down the walls of your oppressors, then you'll need to add 16 Bullets to your playlist. They've been a staple in Atlanta for years and keep the scene breathing by curating and hosting their own shows. Here's a sample of the song, When They Come. That was When They Come by 16 Bullets. You can find them on the Instagram at 16, all spelled out, bullets. Well, my friends, that's all I have for you this month. Thank you so much for listening. More information about all the bands mentioned today is available on wabe.org slash citylights and, of course, punkblack.com. For WABE City Lights, I'm Vaughn Phoenix. Please be safe out there and be kind to each other. Vaughn Phoenix is the president and co-founder of Atlanta's Punk Black. More information is on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. King Crimson is one of the most influential progressive rock bands of all time. The band formed in 1968 with a blend of jazz, classical, 
and psychedelic rock music. Over their 50 years on stage, King Crimson has had a roller coaster career, breaking up and reforming various times with different lineups. Jacker Jackson is the band's lead vocalist, guitarist, and occasional keyboardist and flutist, having joined in 2013. When I spoke with him via Zoom, ahead of their performance at the Fox Theater last July, Jacko explained what distinguished King Crimson's sound from other bands at the time they formed. I think when I first heard the band, I would have been about 11 years old, I think, and uh, I'd been exposed to some of the music from that era. And hearing King Crimson, you immediately realized whilst not understanding what was going on musically, you certainly knew it was coming from a different place. I mean, and, and to my ears, it had this kind of sense of mystery and majesty that nothing else had. So, and there was something very intriguing about all of it, you know, the artwork, the sound of the music. And I was uh, fortunate enough to see them at a local venue when I was about uh, 13, I think I was. Uh, and it completely blew me away. It was one of the most significant moments of my life looking back because it really did change everything I, I, it, it inspired me to want to get better it inspired me to want to play music in that kind of genre so uh ending up actually in the band is just about the maddest childhood dream you could possibly imagine you know oh wow well that sound that distinguished them in 1968 they shied away from psychedelic. They incorporated more jazz and classical into the style, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And it was distinctively kind of European as well, I think. That was the other thing. I thought whilst a lot of their contemporaries' musical influences were from this side of the pond, um, Crimson was always a bit more kind of European. It went from pastoral English to, as you say, kind of European classical music. And uh, along with the kind of jazz influence with the, the horns, etc., to begin with, certainly. Yeah. The band has had quite a journey since its start. In the last 50-plus years, there have been more than a few lineup changes. In fact, the group broke up several times and reformed with different band members. The only founding member that remains is Robert Fripp. And he says he's not the band's leader. But how does Fripp help King Crimson retain its original sensibility? Well, he's being disingenuous by saying that he's not the leader. I mean, it, you know, King Crimson can only really be King Crimson if Robert's part of it. I think it's, it's compositionally, there's a certain uh, kind of harmonic information that, that runs through all the, the albums that you can play different tracks from different eras. And on one level, it sounds like a completely different band, but actually there's a kind of harmonic and musical glue that kind of uh, runs all the way through it. And obviously that's, that's emanating from Robert himself. But as individual players, I think rather than hiring guys to do um, his bidding, I think he hires people who he feels can bring this music to life. 
someone who gets it, so to speak. Yeah, and obviously yeah, or, you... yeah, who gets it or can or can contribute. You know, I have a history of loving the band, and um, uh, my good pal Gavin Harrison, the drummer in the band, wasn't really familiar with them at all. And both are positive things in a way because Gavin approaches it completely differently. Hmm. Robert Fripp is known for mixing unusual time signatures into his songs, thanks to his jazz background. Do you think these time signatures helped pave the way for progressive rock as well as heavy metal music down the road? Well, I don't know. I think as a listener, you're not really aware of what's going on. When I heard the music, I thought the music was extraordinary. I didn't know why I thought it was extraordinary. It just sounded that way, you know. So the mix, I guess, and I guess progressive just as a word just means, you know, trying to progress above and beyond normal structures of composition and songwriting. So um, it gets pretty involved, but I'm pretty sure no one knows what's going on. We, we often don't know what's going on. But, uh, <laughs> You know, there are there are pieces that are like jigsaws and um, and have, you know, there's a number of pieces where I'm playing in a different time signature to everybody else. So does that feel like Dave Brubeck? Um, well, it's kind of beyond Dave Brubeck. It's like being it's like, it's, it's like being Dave Brubeck and then and someone else is banned at the same time, I guess. But the music has a kind of spread. You know, there are moments like that which are very, very tightly arranged and they're like a kind of jigsaw, I guess, a musical jigsaw. And then there are other pieces which are much more open and allow for interpretation and improvisation. It's a combination and it's, it's quite a wide dynamic as a result throughout an evening of a few hours. You know, you, you get to experience all sorts of extremes. But not all polyrhythmic. Not obviously. all polyrhythmic. No, that would drive everyone bonkers, including. <laughs> Most of all those on stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Before you were a part of King Crimson, you fronted the 21st Century Schizoid Band. Yeah. Comprised of former band members. Ironically enough, yes, I was the only member of the band that hadn't been in King Crimson. You were too young. I was. And see, you were a little King Crimson prodigy at 11 or 13, I guess. Yeah. You were playing different works from the band's past albums. When you joined King Crimson officially in 2013, what was it like when you first walked on stage to perform alongside Robert Fripp? Well, I'd gotten to know Robert quite well by then anyway, because we'd made an album together called uh, A Scarcity of Miracles. And then, of course, we had quite a long rehearsal period. But having said that, walking on stage for that very first gig was sublimely surreal. I think it's like anything that you do in life, you know, there's a kind of pragmatism where you're just going through the stages of your career and the next thing that you're doing. But every now and then you get pulled up and you, you suddenly see yourself kind of objectively as your 13 year old self might do, in which case you just think, 
how how on earth did I get here? You know, and I I definitely had a real moment of that at, at the first gig. You know, especially we did Schizoid Man as an encore, and that was the song that my friend played me when I was eleven. And suddenly I'm on stage, I'm performing it, I'm singing it, and I'm standing in between Tony Levin and uh, Robert Fripp. Occasionally I have those moments, you know, how on earth did I get here? This is, uh, this is absolutely extraordinary. Oh, really? Like these pinch me, can this possibly yeah. be real? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So is it fair to say after all those band changes over the course of your career, it felt like home when you began performing as a member of King Crimson? I tell you what it felt like. I th- I've been a professional musician since my late teens. And I'd signed endless solo deals and, you know, and it's very easy to get cynical and you're trying to earn a living and you're doing this, that and the other and you're doing a lot of stuff that you don't like. And um, and then you find yourself in a position where it's more than just performing with these people you admired from afar as a, as a, as a teenager. You're also getting back in touch with what made you want to be a musician in the first place. And, and actually, that's, that's the most kind of valuable and heartwarming aspect of it, I think, is, is realising that, you know, comparatively late on in your career, you know, to, to suddenly find yourself doing the very thing that inspired you to want to be a musician in the first place. We can actually say life only got better for you. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know I've I've led a, I've been very fortunate. I've I've done a lot of amazing things and worked with uh, all sorts of heroes. You know, in fact, just for instance, just before we came out to America for this tour, I just finished mixing the new Jethro Tull album, and so I've been doing a bit of that stuff on the side. I've been remixing albums from my childhood era. You know, and it's an unbelievable privilege to be able to sit there with the, the very multi-tracks of things that I was listening to the final versions of as a kid. And, and now I get to, to kind of reimagine them in surround or whatever, but I've done it for, uh, I did two Emerson Lake and Palmer albums. I've done a number of Jeff. Oh, and, uh, so yeah, I've been very fortunate. I've worked with an awful lot of, of what, you know, who my heroes were back in, back in the day, you know, so, and, and that's all happened in the last 10 or so years. So it's been amazing. You know, I, wondered about Jethro Tull when I saw that you like to play the flute (laughs) and I'm just so glad you brought that up and those bands you mentioned that you loved their sound back in the day I think that influence and sort of tribute you pay to them it all blends into what is ultimately King Crimson's original sound. I think if what I do within the band works, it's actually partly because that's what I was listening to. So I'm not pretending to be any of those singers, but those singers influenced me as a, as a youngster. So it's part of how I sing, was listening to those people anyway. So yeah, there's a kind of an organic kind of conclusion to it all in a way, as a result yeah. of that. Yeah. They, they inform your work. Yeah. 
If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitz, speaking with Jacko Jackson, lead singer for the legendary prog rock band King Crimson. Jacko, last October you released your eighth solo album, Secrets and Lies. It also features your bandmates, as well as some other legendary performers. What topics and themes do you explore on this recording? Well, I, the title kind of made itself apparent because of the nature of some of, the, of most of the songs, you know. There's a lot of personal stuff on there. Uh, there's, I, you know, I spent, I spent a lot of time finding my real family. And it turned out that my real mother was uh, quite a famous singer in Ireland in the 50s. And, uh, but I found her relocated to Arkansas in the 80s. Which, of all uh, places. Of all places, yeah. And for an artistic-driven, liberal-minded uh, uh, kid brought up in the outskirts of uh, London, uh, Arkansas was something of a cultural shock. <laughs> so... Uh, the, there's a lot of stuff. It's too complicated, but I got a very complicated background, and and I kept finding out things. I got a I got a, a kind of full report on my adoption only last year, early last year, and so the kind of narrative that my mother had, had painted about what my life consisted of and the reality, according to the the documents that I read, just revealed more secrets and more lies that she'd been keeping. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a lot, that's the kind of thread that runs through an awful lot of the, the songs on the records. You know, there's, there's a, some political things too. Um, I was subject to a degree of uh, uh, racist abuse um, at the end of the, uh, the Brexit vote in England. Uh, where, oh, what happened? Um, well, I'd, my, my adoptive father, I used to take him to this... Um, place in Hammersmith in, in London uh, called the Polish Centre and on the night of the result it was uh, it was covered in horrendous racist graffiti from kind of right-wing uh, Englishmen that uh, were celebrating the separation of England from Europe and I was very saddened by this because you know this place had been there for 50 60 years and it was in part a recognition of, of, of the Poles uh, contribution to the war effort so I was very saddened by that and foolishly posted something to that effect on Facebook. And then, you know, above and beyond your friends and in inverted commas, it then gets shared amongst a, a larger audience. And then uh, I started to get messages informing me that uh, they had won the vote and I had lost. So why don't I <clears throat> go back home? Uh, oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. I was born in London uh, to an Irish mother, so I'm not sure where they wanted me to go back home to, but... Uh, it seemed to be something that was affecting other parts of the world as well. Um, oh, yes. As we all know. So, uh, you know, there's a ref reflection about that too. great deal of kind of 
bending of the truth involved in the campaign, you know, and trying to excite that audience uh, to the point where, in England, certainly the, uh, the racist attacks have risen uh, exponentially since then. It's horrifying. It and is, sadly. Yeah. Certainly you're aware of all that has gone on. Yeah. This side of the pond. Of course. Curious about secrets and lies. Did you write all of these tracks during isolation at the beginning of the pandemic? No, actually, I didn't. I'd, I'd written most of them before lockdown happened. What it did enable me to do was to take longer finishing it and mixing it and tweaking it. The video for one of the tracks on the album, The Trouble with Angels, won Best Music Video at no less than the Cannes World Film Festival yeah. last February. It's gorgeous. What inspired that song? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> I met somebody uh, when the band played in uh, Monte Carlo. This woman ha was in Monte Carlo because she'd already booked this holiday, um, but it was meant to be her honeymoon. Um, but her husband-to-be died uh, before they got married. As a result of uh, meeting her, we kind of kept in touch and, and uh, it turned out I kind of helped her through an insanely difficult period. And, um, and I remember I, I had something similar happen to me when I first flew to America to meet my mother. Uh, I was in a terrible emotional state whilst waiting for a connecting flight in Boston and a complete stranger came up and uh, was wonderful and helped me get through it. And so it's that idea of somebody appearing out of nowhere that you don't know that helps you through this difficult time. And that in turn referenced a movie from the 80s by Wim Wenders called Wings of Desire, which is about these angels that overlook everybody um, in Berlin. The trouble with angels that can So that, so that influenced the song and that influenced the video. But all the plaudits for the video need to go to uh, Sam Chagini, who's an Iranian, young Iranian filmmaker, who made the video. And, and a very difficult time we had making it too, uh, not just because of COVID, but because of uh, the position that uh, Iran found itself in. Uh, he was meant to come to England to direct me on a, a green screen thing, which we were going to turn into an animation. And of course, he was blocked from coming to England because of the assassination of General Soleimani and uh, it just got very complicated and we ended up having to do it remotely. I was in a little studio in London and he was on Skype. He was directing it from a small room in Tehran whilst I was in London. Uh, it's an amazing video uh, because of his enormous skill and talent and creativity, but I kind of guided where I thought it would go or where I wanted it to go, but uh, he should take all the plaudits for it really. Well, that's very kind. And what a testament to technology. Absolutely, if, yeah. If you can't transcend the politics and zeitgeist, at least we do have these 
technological resources. Now. Yeah, and, and and also, you know, it's it's also a testament to to people from such a diverse cultural background working creatively as one with each other. You know, uh, I, I think it's a highlight for that too, as far as I'm concerned. Jacko Jaksik of King Crimson. He's the band's lead vocalist, guitarist, and occasional keyboardist and flutist. You can hear the full conversation on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Monday at 11 a.m., We'll hear about the late Winfred Rembert's book, Chasing Me to My Grave, an artist's memoir of the Jim Crow South. Our theme music is the first time written and performed by Joe Granston with his jazz band, courtesy of Hot Shoe Records. City Light's senior producer is Kim Drobes, Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. We want you to connect with City Lights on social media. Share your feedback with us on Facebook at WABE City Lights, or check out our pictures and videos on Instagram, where we are at City Lights underscore Lois Reitzes. And of course, I would absolutely love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thank you for listening to W-A-B-E, Atlanta's choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.